So this is a bonus episode. I uh, hope you enjoy it. It covers the Riptide in a similar way that the XV-8 episode did. Um, there's a little bit less lore on the Riptide despite it, uh, its popularity, but uh, we're going to jump into talking about uh, my thoughts on why I believe that it is actually kind of a big showpiece, a big, uh, a big piece of propaganda uh, that the Earthcast has created. Um, yeah, hope you enjoy this one. Uh, there will be a follow-up episode uh, for the XV-8. Um, we're still recovering from um, that hard drive crash, so uh, we'll be going over um, the different uh, XV-8 configurations. So I hope you enjoy that when it when it hits. But until then, please enjoy this episode uh, dedicated to the Riptide. Um, please be sure to subscribe, and remember, you can uh, you're always welcome to join the Discord in the link below. So one of the 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 more interesting uh, developments uh, that happened over the course of well now it's been like ten years or something and I'm always reminded at how ancient I actually am um, was the well okay from a <laughs> from from a technology uh, perspective uh, uh, Games Workshop as a company got better at making large scale models um, in a nutshell right. Um, this would have been uh, toward the end of the last CEO's uh, tenure uh, as uh, as the head of Games Workshop. Uh, he uh, effectively was opposed to single large models. Uh, I think they're also called showcase models. But basically, you know, um, it's now very commonplace to see uh, 40k figures, you know, in these kind of power stances, usually standing on a rock uh, or balancing on a rock, things like that. The technology just for that did not exist, and uh, and then it did, and um, and we get the first knights, right? Like the entire faction uh, of large scale models. I believe the average army was like three to five. I, I think it might have been five, five knights, right? And it uh, it changed the whole nature of the game. But then everybody started getting uh, these kind of large-scale models, a lot of them uh, for Age of Sigmar slash fantasy, um, really just incredibly beautifully sculpted models. Uh, uh, and then, uh, and, and now, and now we, li- now we're living in kind of a golden age of model design, where they, you know they're 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 making things uh, that are huge. Usually, Forge World was the only people that could do stuff like that, and they would have these limited runs. And you know, of course, the largest model that they ever created was the Manta. Um, so one of the first big plastic kits that was released, uh, and this would have been the start of uh, the, uh, in terms of canon, uh, this would be at the start of the third sphere. Um, so once once we started getting a big uh, ramp up uh, and, and the tower kind of redone, uh, this coincided with uh, right after the Eye of Terror campaign um, in the early 2000s. Uh, they gave us our our big kit, um, so so that big kit was the Riptide, um, the XV one hundred four Riptide battlesuit uh, was uh, came onto the scene and uh, very 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 quickly uh, made the Tau both some of the most hated people that play this game um, because you could you could you get three of them and then you 
you just basically win games. Um, I've always been opposed to that, but uh, but uh, but it was the first like true embracing of the like you know let's call it like the Gundam effect, right? Like people who like mechs, and there are a lot of them. Uh, people who like mechs saw the Riptide and just you know fell in love, to put it in no small terms. So so the Riptide is an interesting movement though um, because it also represents very much on the lore side of things uh, a very kind of an, an unusual problem. Uh, now initially when the Tau first engaged large-scale uh, uh, opponents um, they they countered uh, it with combined uh, combined arms approach. Uh, very much like how uh, again uh, going into how the Tau are more of a modern uh, force in a in a in a universe where people are using you know uh, flamethrowers that have uh, chainsaws attached to them, um, the Tau uh, do not uh, approach warfare in that manner. Uh, when they engaged the Titans for the first time on Dalith, uh, they there is a com- there's a rolling commentary of how ridiculous uh, this this enemy formation is. A Titan is ridiculous. You're investing, I mean, from an imperial perspective, uh, forbidden and lost technology and infusing it into a giant target, which, yes, has weapons that can rival uh, starships, but at the same time is still relatively slow. And if titans are not supported uh, in engagements or if they lose their support, uh, become, I mean, they, they, I mean uh, a concerted... A ground force can take down a titan. Uh, in fact, I mean, there there are many descriptions of terminators like climbing up the legs of uh, of titans and then cutting and blasting the the knee joints and and toppling a titan as as you know it, with relative ease. Um, I mean, the Tau themselves utilize the tiger shark, uh, which is uh, w- with upgraded railgun technology, and and handedly uh, destroy. Uh, a, a Warhound Titans, uh, which which has such a devastating effect on the Adeptus Mechanicus that after that engagement on, uh, in this instance it would be Taros, uh, that the Adeptus Mechanicus no longer allows Titan elements to be used against the Tau unless they get assurances that they will be properly supported. Um, so, so then why the Riptide? The Riptide is a is a little bit shorter than a knight, um, and and utilizes weapons uh, that are unique to its class, uh, as well as uh, as well as countermeasures and, and defensive technologies that are that are again very unique to it. Um, it also incorporates uh, a, a a power source um, that uh, that has uh, has has hasn't really been tamed yet. Um, uh, and still, if if it is not, uh, the, excuse me, the dark matter Nova reactor, uh, if it isn't properly regulated, it will it will actually uh, harm both the suit as well as the as well as the pilot within. Um, so, what was the decision, lore wise, for something like this to be created? And in my research. Uh, of which um, there's not too much to go on when it comes to the Riptide, despite being such a popular unit and a, and a very, very successful model. Um, it, it's surprising. So, 
So the lead up to the third sphere is a really interesting period because one, Shadow Sun is uh, resuscitated from cold sleep uh, and, uh, and, 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 and has originally done so, it sounds like, based on the descriptions, uh, that it was out of a kind of desperation. Uh, we uh, very much like how the Tao had the uh, uh, age of the Monta, which is you know the terror, which uh, the the Tao species was almost uh, almost went extinct uh, f- uh, about five thousand years ago. Um, the the we we entered into an age of the Nanta. Uh, now the the Tao uh, etymology for that is uh, awe being age or or time period of and Nant. Uh, mean means like unknowing or ignorance or questioning, uh, and after the the war, the 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 initial first contact war with the Imperium, the Lathesh War, uh, the second sphere's expansion was very uh, was curtailed and stopped, and all of the gains, uh, I believe, about seven worlds, uh, which was which is a lot for the Tau, um, seven worlds were lost. Uh, to the Imperium on the far side of the Damocles Gulf. Uh, Silikel was probably meant to be the first Tau Sept uh, beyond the first and second sphere regions of the stellar cluster that the Tau live in. So Silikel was also, uh, you know, kind of, pre- it was evacuated, uh, and, uh, and I have no doubt that once those uh, evacuation fleets got back to uh, Dalith, um, they were surprised because the Imperium had beat them there. Um, remember that the uh, Imperium it have has much faster warp drives than the Tau do. Uh, and again, uh, just because I have to mention it every time, uh, I, for one, recommend that anybody who likes Tau lore just fully and completely reject the idea that we don't have warp drives. Uh, we did uh, in the third, uh, all the way up until the eighth edition. Uh, well, yeah, about seventh edition. Um, our warp drives were just skip drives, and if you look at the description for a Manta, it is still described as having a limited warp drive itself. Uh, the idea that was uh, instilled after the Farsight publication um, that we slow travel everywhere, or the uh, follow-up codex, which describes near light. Uh, near light travel simply just does not make sense for an interstellar uh, civilization. It just doesn't work. So uh, I just ignore it um, and uh, uh, call that call that, uh, that that's just a hill I'm going to die on. So we can move on. Um, so those refugee fleets are, arrive later to Dalith, and when they get there, uh, Dalith is burning, uh, and Dalith goes through a heavy reconstruction phase. Um, and the and the Tau themselves don't uh, who were under the impression initially that the Imperium was actually an ancient former empire um, are are uh, are concerned because because now they're everywhere right the Imperium is actually the entire basically the entire galaxy and the Tau don't really know what to do with that information they don't know they've never had to face something like this before. Um, now this is before they've encountered their first major uh, orc empires. Uh, this is also before the Tyranids. Um, so, so really, you know, fr- from from the perspective of the Tau, they have 
uh, and to kind of make a pun, uh, the, the Tao have been the largest fish in a pretty small pond for two to 3,000 years at this point, and have never encountered something that is, that is as vast as the Empyrean, which kind of instigates this age of questioning. Now, at the same time, uh, Farsight, uh, who has been lost at this point, uh, out in uh, during his reclamation, has picked a fight with the war chief of Alsanta, uh, and and has reignited an interest by the orcs uh, into fighting in this region, uh, which has wider implications because it's not just Farsight fighting off in the unknown, uh, you know, an unknown pocket of space. It's also it's also uh, the what instigates fresh invasions uh, from the western part of the Commonwealth, uh, uh, and and uh, and you see and you see conflicts like at Atari Vo, uh, you see and, and you see the War of Dhaka kind of break out in general, uh, which lasts for which will last for um, somewhere around uh, almost two centuries. Um, and uh, and this this leads to uh, the, what the, what the Tao call it on the on the uh, uh, on the Commonwealth side they call it the the you know kind of the War of Confederation. So this renewed conflict, which initially had thought you know had initially been been dealt with actually uh, by Farsight in 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 war fronts like Arkunasha, um, you end up getting just a a really bad period for the for the Tao, uh, which which causes Shadow Sun to be woken up. She leads fantastically um, uh, in several campaigns and uh, and 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 kind of saves the day. Now, while this is happening, she's also planning uh, the invasion of uh, Imperial space uh, for a variety of different reasons. But first and foremost, the Imperium has not stopped fighting the Tau and has continually uh, been assaulting uh, uh, outlier worlds or coming into contact with. Uh, with commanders that have that kind of take take decisions in their own hands. Uh, that that the most the most violent example being Commander Brightsword at the Battle of Nimbosa, uh, in which he uh, kind of exterminated the population there. Um, but these like little brush fire wars that are going back and forth. Ultimately, the Tau conclude that peace was never going to work with the Imperium. So the Third Sphere is launched, and the Third Sphere is directed almost exclusively at the Imperium of Mankind. So why the Riptide? Well, the Tau have to gear up for a war that they have never, a kind of war that they've never, uh, they, they could have never prepared for pre, previous to the Lathesh War. And, you know, to talk a little bit about Tau technology, it really hits kind of like its peak in the second sphere. You know, um, Fiotok, for example. Fiotok uh, is the uh, is is a programmable material uh, that is uh, loosely described as having qualities comparable to ceramite, which is what uh, which is what Space Marine armor is. Um, it uh, it can be formatted. It can be. I mean, it's funny. Before three D printing was such a thing, uh, 40,000 uh, 40, uh, Warhammer forty thousand in the form of Dawn of War. Uh, kind of showed and and describes how Tau buildings are made, and it, it sounds very much like three D printing. Um, the word format was used, you know, that that buildings are formatted into existence. 
Um, and Theotoc is incredibly resistant to, uh, to, to weapons fire. Um, and, 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 and has not really, uh, met its match until the, until the, the, the research that goes into, uh, preparing for the third sphere, uh, in the form of the iridium, uh, plates that later get found. Now, iridium being, uh, massively, uh, difficult to, uh, manufacture, but is comparable to, like, uh, adamantium. I think the best way to describe it is, like, adamantium. So, so Theotoc and adamantium uh, are the two primary uh, ways that, that the Tau build uh, their, uh, build out their, their, their war machine, right? Um, and both of, but both of which, and at this point, iridium is actually uh, too difficult to not use uh, kind of larger plates, which result in the lower performance of XV suits uh, that, that wear them uh, or that wear it. Um, and, and ultimately uh, power being a, a major, a major deficit for anything uh, other than uh, let's call it like a tank or, or airship. Right. But, but in the research leading up to the third sphere, it must have been concluded uh, and I believe specifically by Anva, uh, that the Tau needs something that they've never needed before, which is showmanship. If you th- if you think about it uh, from like the propaganda point of view, and the Tau do utilize propaganda more so and more effectively than really anybody else, right? Like the Imperium has propaganda, but it's propaganda against you know on the opposite side of a gun, like you know, like like. Nobody, it's more dystopian, right? Like people that uh, really believe in the Imperium are are kind of almost universally psychopaths, uh, at least at least in in the majority of the literature that's out there. But but the Tao have to walk a finer line, and I think that what is. I think that this this is one of the reasons why I I, I consider uh, the Tau ultimately uh, uh, not a mind controlling faction. Let's just call it that, is because is because they have to play the hearts and minds game. If the Tau started treating the auxiliary races um, or the allied races uh, badly, you would get a rebellion. And you do. In the fourth sphere, once the fourth sphere uh, got situated and reabsorbed by the fifth sphere, they started uh, killing uh, auxiliary and allied species. Uh, So much so that they were sequestered and punished for what they did. Um, Which punishment is something you rarely hear about in in Tal lore in general by comparison to all the other races. Um, So... So the Tau have to win over people's good good opinions, um, because mind control. I mean, just any Saturday morning cartoon villain uh, will mind control the good guy at some point or another, uh, and at the moment that you break the mind control, the good guy comes back, you know, a thousandfold and 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 wins the day. Right? I think anybody knows that um, the value of true conviction and true belief. 
uh, is always going to beat indoctrination. It, it just always is. And indoctrination is sloppy. And all, all your enemies have to do is figure out the mind control antenna or the mind control helmet or the mind control, you, you, whatever. All they have to do is figure out where that is, blow it up, and then you'll, you'll have an internal rebellion as everybody wakes up and goes, hey, wait a minute, I don't want to be a, a, a mind slave, right? So I never, I, I don't think that the Tau legitimately rely on mind control to get anything done because it is so the opposite of pragmatic, right? But what I do think they do is they spend a lot of resources on making sure that the propaganda game is 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 top tier. And so I think when I look at all of the data uh, available to um, to me, the Riptide is that propaganda machine. Uh, and no better description uh, to prove my point happens than in the uh, Cayun Montcott books that describe the, the the campaign on Agrelin, in which you see, uh, in which you see, Anva coming through on his floaty throne, and two Riptides on either side of the gates of Primaris Hive kneel before him in respect. So imagine two houses, right? that just showed up onto the battlefield and by all descriptions kicked the tar out of everything that came at them, that were hit with death strike missiles, uh, but their shield generators held, right? Like, like all of these incredible moments and to have them, these two, these two giant mechs kneel before Anva, I think nothing would be more powerful or impactful on the propaganda front than that video feed being broadcast to uh, both, uh, you know, human lines and Tau lines, right? Like, that's just, that's incredible. That's, I, that is, uh, I mean, we, you know, we now think of it as kind of probably uh, circusy, but when horses bow, right? Or when, or, or if you watch like Chronicles of Narnia and everybody bows to, uh, uh, to Aslan, or to bring up another lion story, the the Lion King, where everybody bows to, you know, Simba. When people bow, you can't help but be like, wow, well, whatever they're bowing to, a mass bow, uh, whoever is being bowed to is, is you know, is the bee's knees to, to keep it clean. Um, it's, I, I can't think of anything more uh, successful in terms of the propaganda game than the creation of the Riptide. And what's so interesting is that, that the Riptide itself is not actually incorporated into any major Tau tactics. And I find this kind of interesting. Now, when, when we see like the, 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 the short stories of Corsara Khan engaging and looking for Shadow Sun and trying to kill her, uh, like a Riptide will show up every now and again, right? And, uh, and because they're Space Marines, they figure out a way to, 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 way to kill it pretty, you know, pretty fast. But, um, but the Riptide itself does not exist inside of any major, uh, the combined arms approach that the Tau have. Uh, the crisis suits, for example, um, uh, the Tarocha method, right? Like the, 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 the three to eight crisis suits all bonded together, working as a team, having different pieces of equipment. Uh, you know, that guy's got missiles to, to take down the shields from far away. And then that guy's got fusion blasters to come in and just burn the thing, right? There's that combined arms, we're all in this, we're all a moving piece of this giant military war machine and we all work together. That, the Riptide is not within that, that, that equation, you know? Um, 
it is a shock and awe weapon. And the only thing it really works together with is other riptides. And so that's why I think that it is, by and large, an experimental weapon. Um, it is not a... It, is, it, it has not earned its place in the Tau military psyche uh, or the tactical psyche of the Tau military uh, for, it to, for it to really know what it does. Is it an anti-tank platform? Is it an anti-mech tap, uh, platform or an anti-tech platform? Like, what does it do? You know, what, 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 is, what is the goal of the Riptide ultimately? And I think the answer is propaganda. Uh, it's powered by a dark matter Nova reactor. Um, and, and that just by itself is uh, an experimental weapon um, that has so far not been described, uh, not really at least, being used anywhere else, except in XV-104, uh, uh, which is the Riptide, the Ravarna, and the Yavhara battlesuits. Uh, and it produces so much energy. I mean, it's described as uh, enough energy as a small star that it allows the Riptide uh, or the Riptide variant to achieve levels of operation that is impossible for anybody else, with the combined problem that it does it does it ca it can cause damage to the pilot or the or the vehicle itself, which in and of itself is outside of what the Earthcast and the Firecast deem acceptable, you know, um, which which only lays more of my argument at uh, on Vaz's feet or hooves. Uh, in which he pushed so hard for the third sphere to be his sphere. I've talked about this before. The first sphere expansion was was entirely the 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 trophy uh, or the or the the award for for best operating cast uh, for the first sphere was the air cast. Uh, the the Tau expand exponentially utilizing spacecraft. Uh, the major wars against the orcs and the Nikasar. Uh, all of it fought by the aircast, right? The second sphere of expansion uh, uh, was the firecasts. Uh, nobody did it better than them. You know, they they uh, they they squared off against orc uh, orc wa fleets. Uh, they they went up against the 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 hyperviolent bargasi, and 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 the second sphere ended with the. Uh, the encounter with the Imperium, like the second sphere, you know, you get you get the birth of Pure Tide, you get the birth of Farsight and Shadow Sun and Kais and all of these guys. Uh, it is, it is solidly the Firecast. I think Anva wanted the third sphere to be the Ethereal Cast's knockout punch, and I think it cost him his life, and I think it cost the Empire and the Commonwealth uh, a a massive loss. The third the third sphere is not a success. Uh, if you look at it by comparison of the other spheres of expansion, yes, from a stellographic po point per per perspective, the 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 Commonwealth grows thirty three percent in size. Yes, two thirds of those victories are accomplished by the Watercast, who I I would say that the third sphere ends up being the Watercast's victory, um, or or they they receive the the best performing award, um, but it, it it only lasts between like five and. Uh, let's just say five and ten years. It is the shortest sphere of expansion out of all of them. When you have, uh, you know, a thousand plus years uh, being accomplished by the first and second sphere, uh, I, I guess I guess the only the only underperforming sphere past that is the fourth sphere. But honestly, the fourth sphere shouldn't be called the fourth sphere. The fourth sphere should be called the third sphere. Uh, and uh, but but then again, that's just my opinion. So. Uh, 
so in, so 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 when we think about the third sphere and all of the R and D and resources put into it, uh, you really see the hand of an ex, uh, of of Anva himself in in all of this, and and I think that I think that he. I think he screwed the pooch. You know, I think he he made massive, uh, kind of a massive misstep. Agrelin itself should have uh, Perfectia and Agrelin should have been where the third sphere like drew a line in the sand and fortified the border, rather than continuing to push further and further out, like to Voltoris, where Shadow Sun is almost uh, killed. Right, um, the the Riptide, I think for me embodies the. Uh, the the aggressiveness that Anva wanted to treat the third sphere, and so that's why it's got so many experimental weapons. It's got it's got an experimental power source. Um, uh, it has it has things that 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 I think that the Firecast does not know how to treat the Riptide. And if you look at even even the unit description, you know only a Shaspray is allowed to pilot uh, a Riptide, um, and. And even though, uh, and even and, and even though uh, conceptually, uh, a a Shasui might be able to be taught how to pilot a Riptide, the fact that they only give it to Shasfrey, I think, is actually indicative of how uh, unsure of the Firecast is. Instead of instead of making it more available to the traditional uh, Shasui rank, um, they. They they have to give it to like uh let's call it a battlesuit combat veteran, uh, otherwise the and remember that the firecast has always been a little bit wary about who they let have uh, access to battlesuits because uh, the development of battlesuit neuroses, uh, but also the intoxicating uh, manner in which the the battlesuit uh, makes the wearer feel you know, um, so. So when we think about the Riptide, um, it falls outside of all of these common operating procedures, uh, uh, the, 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 the warrior culture that exists. And even though they have a fantastic track record in terms of what they have been able to accomplish, you know, let's just say cr- uh, cracking fortress and hive worlds, right? Um, being, uh, being, being present as, at some of the, the greatest victories uh, that the Tao have recently had, uh, being popular on the tabletop, which is the ultimate victory for any uh, miniature, um, it's it is ultimately it is ultimately something that I think is that it was created to reinforce propaganda. Now I, I, I'm specifically talking about the 104, uh, uh, which which did show up um, uh, at a Grelin, right? Um, and, and, and would have been in front of all the cameras. I'd like to take a moment and just say that I don't know if that's the case for the 107 Yavarna, uh, variant or the 109 Yavhara variant. Now, both of these designs, uh, were, uh, created, uh, for different reasons. Um, instead of propaganda, I think that these variants were made out of desperation. Uh, as we know, Kelishan, um, was attacked by Hive Fleet Gorgon, but was also atta- has always been at the forefront of uh, let's call it the, the the kicking boot of invading uh, enemy factions. Uh, that's both the depredations that uh, come out of the Pertus Rift every now and again. Uh, that that would be Chaos Pirates and things like that. Um, Dark Eldar, 
um, uh, orcs to a lesser extent, but uh, definitely the Imperium, uh, where the Iron Hammer uh, campaign is fought uh, shortly after the the destruction, the, the primary destruction of High Fleet Gorgon, and then the Tyranids themselves. Um, they are the inventors of the Taunar, uh, which is uh, by by every definition a Titan level weapon. Um, but they are also the inventors of the 107 and the 109. Now, the 107 uh, is uh, relies on the Nova reactor that I mentioned um, all the more so. Uh, it, uh, it, it, it effectively, uh, it basically uses the, the, the Nova reactor engine more so than the Riptide, making it a more volatile uh, weapon, or, or weapon system, I should say. Um, but uh, but it makes up for the more ponderous elements uh, of something so large uh, by utilizing the the the, the reactor uh, at a at a more constant state. Um, while the 109, for example, uh, utilizes uh, the same uh, power uh, uh, power source um, to to uh, utilize its weapons, which is like the uh, something called the ionic discharge cannon. Um, now the ionic discharge cannon is the one of the more uh, insane, I'm going to call it, uh, ion weapons. Ion weapons, uh, by the way, um, you know, are are the lance equivalent uh, uh, for what the for for let, let's call it like the the the, the Tau technology tree. Um, uh, originally gifted by uh, the demiurge, who are now also called the Leagues of Votan, uh, ion technology has. Um, really allowed the Tau uh, going as far back as the first, I, I believe the, the uh, between the first and second sphere, if it's the second sphere, then it's very early in that time period. Um, it, ha it has allowed them basically to hit way above their weight class. Um, uh, ion technology is still though largely not entirely understood um, uh, in terms of its application, but uh, over the years, the Tau, the Earthcast has managed to miniaturize the technology, and so that's why you're starting to see Fire Warriors uh, and Pathfinders um, have these, uh, you know, these ionic rifles. Um, but the ionic discharge uh, cannon uh, is incredibly short range. Um, it is a heavy ion weapon uh, that uh, that is in the same classification as the ion accelerator that you might see on a hammerhead uh, gunship. Um, uh, but with the added element that uh, whatever function um, they've managed to put into it, it it unleashes a kind of an electrom uh, an electromagnetic pulse after the energy delivery of the of uh, uh, of the weapon. So it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive and only exists um, only exists on the uh, the XV one oh nine. Um, uh, that's the Yavhara variant, and it requires uh, the 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 dark matter. No, uh, the, excuse me, the Nova reactor uh, to function. Um, it also uh, utilizes a unique uh, vectored thrust array, which we're used to seeing on the much smaller XV8 uh, or XV9 patterns, um, uh, in order to get in and out of uh, bad situations quickly. So, so again, you see the Riptide, right? Um, relatively uniform. Uh, by comparison uh, to the to its its two other variants, um, these variants were created uh, specifically by Kelshen uh, to engage uh, with 
the near uh, the near defeat uh, and absorption of Kelshan Prime, uh, and and the decisions of the cre- uh, of those creators uh, were uh, were were mostly uh, because uh, Kelshan was falling. Uh, if you look at earlier maps of the Tau Commonwealth, you see the Zone of Silence, and the Zone of Silence. Uh, is a region of space that was picked dry uh, by High Fleet Gorgon as it was advancing uh, toward Kelshan. Uh, Kelshan, by the way, took uh, took the hit uh, and diverted or, or attracted uh, the Tyranid High Fleets uh, uh, in order to spare Atal. So I, I'm I'm a big fan of Kelshan, even though they are regarded as uh, a little bit more of the grim dark type of Tau because they uh, inherently don't trust uh, the alien, right? Um, because because of the, the the many defeats that they've had. I mean, uh, remember, like when we think of when we think of sci-fi worlds, we kind of think of uh, you know ecumen uh, ecumenopolises where you know uh, a sept prime might be a city uh, that spans the entire planet. Um, that's not that's that's not the case for Tau worlds with the uh, with the exception potentially of Sakia Prime, uh, Tau planets are still very much like uh, like uh, well, think of them as a little bit like Earth. There are a lot of wild areas and there are a lot of empty areas, and uh, and Kelshan has been attacked from you know those 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 unknown regions on its own uh, Sept Prime planet, going all the way back to its original uh, colonization. So, so they. They have taken that uh, the idea of instead of it being a propaganda weapon, and they've turned it into a, a weapon of uh, uh, that that, uh, that that almost an all is lost type weapon, uh, where it's most likely that the I mean if you just look at these designs, uh, the Yevhara you know is designed to to get all the way up within close combat range, uh, you know of probably some kind of uh, Tyranid uh, bio titan. Uh, engage with it and then hopefully get away. Right? There's no, there's no, there's no prop. I mean, the propaganda would come, will come in the, come after the victory. But there's no way you're going to get a camera in there, uh, versus the the original uh, uh, Riptide variant, which you know was seemingly all but designed to uh, uh, for photo opportunities. I mean, just look at its shield. Right? It's got a giant uh, Tau symbol on the front of it, and uh, you know, and it it just it you know it it looks like something that that looks good uh, uh, on on a newscast. So so as 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 these things evolve, as they always do, um, you know, I we're not we're now far from that time period. We're we're thirty years plus, right? And and we're now in the fifth sphere. And it seems, just based on the the the, the information that we have available, um, that the Riptide has slowly begun to adapt uh, to um, to the rest of the Firecast uh, military, um, but but again is still not it, is it 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 runs into all of the problems uh, that that the Tau have always known exist. Uh, for for a vehicle of this type. Okay, sorry about that, just to pick it up. Um, the Tau have always, um, the Tau have always 
known that the that having something of this value is a, is ultimately a detriment, right? Um, relying on something like a, I mean, actually, the, maybe the best way to describe it is, uh, you know, if you look at when you're building an army, for example, are you going to sink this many points into one model, right? Like expand that out to you know uh, tactics, right? Um, you are going to, I mean, luckily the Riptide does not require very much of a probably zero uh, requirement to refueling because it has the 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 generator that it does the the, the Nova reactor, um, but but getting it to and from places, uh, it has the same problem that the Titans do. When you deploy Titans, you need to support them. Um, if you don't support them, uh, little things are going to be able to trip them up. I mean, very literally. Um, something that we don't talk about really ever. Um, is when you deploy Titans, uh, and you have to, and you have to get them off a planet after the, after the war is done. Um, they have to land entire, you know, these giant ships with huge macro thrust engines, which then blast the Titans back into space. And it is hugely expensive. Um, and the technologies that do it are barely understood by the people that use them. Now, that's not the problem with the Tau. The problem with the Tau is that they require an entire manta to bring a Riptide to and from a zone. And that's a pretty big problem because Mantas are always, uh, I mean, are required for so many different roles. Um, they, they're required uh, to move uh, entire cadres uh, from one place or another. And uh, just as much as they are uh, uh, the, the, the most direct way of getting, um, you know, if you're evacuating a population zone, uh, or if you're leading an invasion or, or an operation, mantas are uh, are always at a premium, uh, and they uh, and they also serve in a role in space combat in which in which they're bombers. So you know you have one ship that's doing ten different things, and if it now has to do an eleventh thing, which is move a single unit uh, to one zone or another, uh, the Tau have now curtailed and almost kneecapped themselves. Uh, uh, in terms of their ability to react to new situations. And remember, the Tau fight almost identically, and in some ways a little bit better than uh, Space Marine tactics. Space Marines are always small because their their populations are always, uh, uh, their population is, you know, a thousand, basically a thousand Marines or less. Um, they're always small. They have to be super, uh, super mobile, and, and they have to have the ability to uh, relocate quickly. Um, the Tau fight in, in, in a similar way, except they don't suffer from the numbers problem as much, unless they drag one of these Riptides in. So where Kelshen, uh, or Kelshen, uh, uh, utilizes the, uh, the, uh, the Yavhara or the Ravarna, they're utilizing it on a defensive level, and they know that what they're, when they're using them, that this is just the only, uh, this is the only, uh, uh, creation of its type uh, that can handle whatever it is that they're going up against. I mean, I haven't talked about it too much, but the Rivarna is like is like a broadside uh, times ten. You know, uh, it's utilizing uh, weapons that are uh, are far beyond. I mean, like that that are just that are just uh, way outside of what anything uh, else uses. Uh, just just in the forms of its description. Um, you know, which uh, which. Uh, Sorry, just a second. 
uh, which are best described um, kind of like the only times we ever really see these kinds of things are on the uh, storm surge, which are later seen. Uh, and, and that uh, that description is the pulse submunition cannons, uh, which, I mean, if you get into it, and, and I recommend anybody does, uh, kind of uh, are like super shotguns, right? Like uh, if that wasn't if that wasn't the perfect weapon to deal with the hordes of tyranids that are probably breaking down your door, I don't know what is. But that really doesn't do you very good if you are on the go and if you're fighting an enemy like, I don't know, like the Eldar, right? Who are just not going to give you a chance to hit enough of their numbers uh, in any kind of meaningful way. So... So the so these weapon systems are very particular, both in both cases, both the 107s, uh, the Riptides, and the, you know um, they they are designed they are designed for one situation, and that's really bad for the Tau because the Tau, being generally speaking at the center of uh, eight or nine different conflicts at any given time, um, uh, have to. I mean, the, the the key of their success has been their adaptation, and if you create something in this case like the Ravarna, uh, and you end up not, you know, let's say the Tyranids end up out adapting you, and let's say you know instead of sending a, a swarm at you, they're going to only send Carnifexes. The 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 Ravara, uh, Ravarna is going to have a difficulty. Um, uh, that is something that isn't easily, uh, you know, it can't go to a depot and get rearmed. Uh, to deal with something else, um, it won't be able to react fast enough. Versus uh, the Crisis Suit XB8 teams, which can. I mean, they can very quickly jump back to a Manta or a forward operating base, uh, rearm, refuel. Um, they rely on fusion technology, which uh, is also, you know, kind of described as limitless, uh, uh, and they're able to change out their weapon loadouts very quickly. So while the Riptides and its variants are cool. Um, that the adaptation to to make them a necessity just hasn't happened yet, and even though they, ha I mean, but the benefit from that uh, is that because they have so much experimental technology, um, they they really do end up uh, they do end up having a really. Uh, 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 there, there's a there's a direct uh, point of impact to see if something works or not. Um, obviously, nothing's ever going to replace Fiotok. Nothing's going to replace the jetpack systems, right? Um, but but if they continue using the Nova reactors, for example, and they miniaturize it, you might be looking at the next stage of what uh, the XV-8s are going to enjoy. Um, as previously stated uh, in another episode, uh, the XV-8s started off as almost like fossil fuel, right? And then they, they moved to more of like, let's call it a more uh, uh, atomic-based form, uh, and now they have, uh, in, in terms of fission, and now they have fusion engines. Like they they are in their th we're in the third generation of the XV8. Um, if we ever expand the the timeline, or if we if we do get a major adaptation, let's say in the next codex, you know, iridium used to be something that was limited to uh, a commander level, uh, like let, let's call it like a relic assignment, right? Um, that offered a two plus save. Now it's in every, you know, one crisis suit and every squad can have it. Um, you might be looking at a, a similar adaptation that the Nova reactor is able to be miniaturized and given to, uh, and given to uh, more, uh, more squad level uh, 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 operators. That is, that is a benefit of research and development and especially field development, right? But at the end of the day, 
do you really need the Riptide? It's, it, would, it would actually seem like you just need more XV8s because, uh, because the, the Riptide in and of itself is just always going to be too cumbersome because it's too large. Yes, absolutely still useful against Titan level or Knight equivalent. Uh, maybe actually not Titan level, maybe just Knight equivalent. So punching within its own weight class, a Riptide is always going to be great. And most importantly, though, despite all of the technologies listed, uh, I think that nothing screams good propaganda more than a walking building uh, that that utilizes, you know, f uh, uh, new tech as uh, as your fire warriors uh, and crisis suits uh, and all of these smaller uh, uh, elements surge forward. Right? Like nothing looks better than that. That's a good poster. Uh, for a reason why the war is going well. And so that's why I think the Riptide's most potent weapon is the psychological impact that it has on both the Imperials, which it's predominantly fighting against, um, and how the Imperials would react to seeing something that they're more, you know, something that is larger than life. Um, that's going to have a preternatural reaction to them that probably will inspire no small level of fear, but maybe awe. Um, uh, and and that's why I think that the uh, that propaganda remains the Riptide's real uh, real weapon of choice. Um, interestingly, and in conclusion, uh, it also kind of has that effect on the tabletop as well. Uh, if you take out three Riptides to this day. Uh, you're, uh, you're, well, you're in for, uh, you're in for a very opinionated battle.